0: Yeah, let's go for it.
1: Hello, and welcome to Season Six, Episode Six of the Scene from Above Podcast. I'm Alistair, and I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, scenefromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSEenfrom and using the hashtag seenfromabove. This episode we'll be chatting a bit about being an EO business.
0: Let's do the news on the 29th of January, 2020. January's gone already. Yeah. The thing that I most have been interested in in the last three weeks since we last spoke is cogs. <laughs> I've even written a couple of blogs about them. You can get the Landsat 8 data as a cog from the USGS, which is fantastic. That's cloud-optimized geotiff. But I saw that we now have a Sentinel 5P uh, data set now being hosted on um, AWS. Uh, level two data as a cog and i sent out this tweet uh, the other day uh, about this when i when i sort of started playing around with it it's being supplied as netcdf format.nc okay. but it's also being supplied here as cog so at, at, as geotiffs and that's one of the questions i've seen come up before and certainly stuff that i've written about in the past that people saying i want to get this as a as a tiff cloud optimized geotiff is brilliant and it just loads into QGIS, and oh, it's got awesome. a stack browser so I did feel quite quite sort of modern doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel we're getting there. Yeah. I think it's p- partly on people like us to sort of say, this is a simpler way of doing it. Yeah. Quite often you see people say, oh, this is really simple. And then there's six steps. And maybe they are simple steps, but they're still six steps.
1: My understanding of 5P is that there's multiple different products that come out for different gases and things. Do you get like a, a cog endpoint for each of those different layers? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, a
0: lot of work has obviously gone into preparing for this. I really think that the climate side of things is the most interesting direction we're going in in Earth observation at the moment.
1: I'm not a climate scientist, but I'm just amazed by it. So just so some of our listeners who might not have come across COGS, and if you haven't come across COGS, you haven't been listening to this podcast for long enough. Am I right in thinking that if you stream cloud-optimized GeoTIFF into something like QGIS, that then you would use that to generate your, for want of a better example, NDVI layer, and your NDVI layer would be saved onto your local machine, but you, but you don't have to download the data. That's that's the whole point of this, yeah.
0: If you did it in QGIS, if you if you had um, a cog of a Landsat eight and you did the NDVI calculation, then then the resulting calculation would be saved onto your computer. Yeah. You could um, create a BRT format, a a virtual raster, and that would be a pointer to the data, and that would probably be the smart way of working.
1: Cool. So I've got a couple of tweets that I want to mention. So they're basically updates for a couple of things. So the first one is a little bit broader than just Earth observation, but Remco Timmermans and Space Agenda have updated their What's On calendar. So they now have 233 events in 41 countries listed. And that was a couple of days ago when I last looked at it. So it could be more. That, again, is a really, really useful resource for just trying to find out what sorts of things are on in the space world. That's one to check out just to find out what's on near you or what's on where you want to go on holiday. The second update was that the first JEDI products are online. So this is JEDI, G-E-D-I, which stands for the Global Ecosystem Dynamics Investigation. And that's a LIDAR mission uh, that's on the ISS, uh, the International Space Station. And it's mapping specifically forest structure. And there's been some really interesting tweets coming out of their account this last week or so if you're interested in sort of 3d and forest structure and things like that then check that out as well
0: awesome i'm just looking at their twitter account yeah it looks looks good doesn't it yeah um okay google have uh, released out a beta their data set search this is really interesting you can start using this i think this is another big step in finding data this google data set search may become quite an invaluable part of finding out more information and getting you to the right place faster so i thought that was quite a big announcement and i can only see this being improved as more people
1: use it i was just looking back at our archives and you did yeah you you mentioned it going into beta back in season 2
0: there you go season 6 now
1: So the next thing I want to quickly mention is that uh, Satellogic successfully launched two satellites. Satellogic is an organization that is basically trying to build what they call the first scalable Earth observation platform with the ability to remap the entire planet at both high frequency and high resolution. I'm not entirely sure how that differs from planet, but... um, yeah, so they've managed to put an additional two satellites up into orbit this week, which is pretty cool. And they want to try and get 16 launched over the next year or so, up to a constellation of about 90 in the next couple of years. At the moment, they are naming their satellites by uh, women involved in science so they've already had ada after ada lovelace and mariam after mariam Merzucani, the only woman ever to win the fields medal and they've just launched sophie and marie after sophie germain who's a mathematician and physicist, and Marie Curie. The payload systems on these are basically a multispectral camera with a one metre resolution and also a hyperspectral camera with a 30 metre resolution, so the hyperspectral revolution is on its way, <laughs> as we predicted two years ago.
0: <laughs> we're in this sort of period now, aren't we, 2020, 2021, 2022, etc., where we're going to see huge constellations going up. Hyperspectral may be, may be the differentiator, it certainly sounds exciting.
1: And they're also, they're a company that's uh, headquartered, I think, down in Argentina. So it's nice to see a company or an organization from a different part of the world really pushing things forward.
0: Yeah. Okay, the final thing I wanted to mention was more data. I, I, I seem to be very focused on data and scripts and code and things, things this, uh, this time. But 300 plus Jupyter Notebooks
1: created for Google Earth Engine. Can I just say now, wow this is yeah yeah i'm going through this this is insane <laughs> but brilliant. so there's a lot in
0: here i mean we really have seen the dawning of and the growth of earth engine i i haven't been through all of them i just i just don't have the time sadly but what's really great is that the author has put these together in a way that they're all they all seem and I, i'm happy to be corrected but they all seem to be very continuous so they has the same sort of group of functions, and then has a big block of code that that does what whatever that thing that is being described. Yeah, massive resource, and quite often in the past, there's been a lot of support for JavaScript because it's a JavaScript front-end on Earth Engine, but there is a Python Python backend that you can access through. You can install through Conda, and it you know, clearly it works on, on Jupyter Notebooks. As long as you've got an account and you've activated it, it was a little short on
1: examples Thinking back two or three years, but but now it's just loads. Very cool. This is something called the Truths satellite mission. Truths stands for traceable radiometry underpinning terrestrial and helio studies. So you can see why they called it Truths. And basically, industry from the UK, Switzerland, Czech Republic, Greece, and Romania. Uh, met on the 21st of January at the European Centre for Space Applications and Telecoms in Harwell, which is in Oxfordshire in the UK, to discuss a new climate mission, which will be supported by the UK National Physical Lab's capability and expertise in measurement science. So this is part of the UK's commitment to combat climate change, and Truths will set a new benchmark for fundamental climate data and remove biases from existing sensors, helping to ensure essential long-time base studies of key parameters which impact our understanding of the Earth's systems and how they are changing. So the primary objective of Truths is the creation of a climate and calibration observatory in space, which will reduce uncertainty in the Earth observing data, leading to improved confidence in decision-making, particularly related to climate mitigation and adaptation strategies. The way I look at this is basically it's a big collaborative European project where people are coming together to try and put together a project project for calibration of climate data cool and that's it for the news i think this episode we are talking about something a bit different us or more specifically what it's like working as an independent entity in the eo sector the topic idea came from Christoph rika long time listener <laughs> who wrote to at EoceneCrom from saying, as both of you are working independently, I think freelancing in the geospatial industry would make for a great topic. Usual projects, day-to-day, client acquisition, etc. So we're going to break this down into two sections and we're going to try and be as honest as we can. Uh, so first off, what it's like working for ourselves. So first off, I'm going to do a blatant plug for a blog post that I put out in August 2018 that was entitled Why Go Independent. And at that point, I'd been working for myself as Jocker for five years. And I was trying to explain in that blog post, sort of some of the reasoning behind the fact that I really enjoy working for myself, that it gives me a certain number of opportunities, but also that there's a few things that also make it quite challenging and difficult. So If you haven't read that, I will put a link to that in the show notes. And that's a good place to sort of start with some ideas. But I suppose I wanted to first point out that freelancing and being an independent consultant are slightly different business models. And so Andrew is a freelancer and I'm an independent consultant. And it's not that one is better or worse than the other. It's just they meet different needs for different people at different times. So... I know a little bit less about freelancing, but the reason I became an independent consultant was because I wanted this to be a longish-term venture, and I wanted to protect my property and other assets, and so I created a limited company. So it's basically the company that interacts with my clients, whereas with Andrew, it's you, isn't it, that interacts with your clients? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) As as a legal entity rather than... (laughs)
0: yes yes uh, that that is true i did start out first time i tried to work for myself to be self-employed as a limited company i mean rightly it added a layer of protection that, that you rightly said but it, it added another layer of sort of complexity i do all of my accounting and, and all, all of that stuff it's all on my shoulders as it were with a company i had a deal with a accountant you know if, if i wasn't earning any money i was still paying for an accountant
1: I suppose another thing as well that I've found is that you are Andrew Cutts. So if somebody wants some Python training, they can look up Andrew Cutts Python training and they will get to your website. I suppose with me, they would look up Alastair Graham and it should take them to the Jocker website, but it's almost like there's a brand between me and the client, which Is great once you've done all your marketing over a number of years and you've built up the fact that people know that that brand is effectively Alistair Graham. But to begin with, it's really tough because you're trying to market your business name, but at the same time, you're well aware that it's just you that's in that business. That's one thing I have found is that there's always this... um, It's not a problem, but it's sort of like a rubbing up against each other of whether or not Jogger is me or whether I'm Jogger. There are times where I think it would be easier for me to be a limited company, because sometimes that's easier for,
0: for other companies to, to work with me. And then I, I, I do think it's sort of a personal choice. I don't know, is the honest answer, what, what, what's the easiest way to do. I kind of feel it's easier
1: to take part-time work if I need to, or to sort of continue mixing it up. I like that. Okay, so the, the next point I wanted to make, and this is something that people sometimes mention to me, is that, wow, you have the freedom to choose your work. So, yes, there is the potential that because you are the master of your destiny, that's what they tell you, when you're working for yourself, you can turn away work. And I have, well, I tend not to just turn it away flat. I try to find someone else within the sector who might want to take that work and, and pass the client on. But I would also say that probably 90% of the time, you will take the work that comes your way. Because if you're working for yourself, you don't have that sales department and that marketing department that is constantly working every day to bring more work into the business. And this is for for speculative work that comes in rather than, say, projects that you tender for or something, because obviously you make the decision as to what you t- what you tender for directly. And then the other point I wanted to make on this whole freedom to choose work is that For both freelancing and being an independent consultant, basically cash is king and cash flow is king. And you want to make sure that you try to even out your invoicing across the year as much as possible. And that's not always easy to do because you're at the mercy of what work is coming in, etc. First time I started working for myself, I spent a lot of time trying to talk to people who... I've done a similar
0: thing, not necessarily in the same industry, but trying to make informed decisions. That, that's how I've always sort of worked. I'm a sort of conscientious kind of guy, and yeah, that's just sort of who I am. And invoicing was something that came up quite a bit. Personally, I I don't find it a problem, and I'm I'm happy to to do it myself, and I'm quite you know quite comfortable with that. Some people absolutely hate it,
1: which is bizarre because that's the most important bit, probably. <laughs>
0: yeah, but they they you know from from conversations I had that they were happy to hire or pay someone to do their invoicing for
1: them? Certainly the first year that I was trading as jogger, I learnt a lot with every single interaction I had with another business, whether or not I actually got work out of it at the end, but certainly the process of talking to people about the scope of work and specifically what they want, and also then deliverable schedules and invoicing schedules and trying to find out who in the business I should be sending my invoice to. And if there's an issue, how does it get escalated? Yeah, for those people who are listening to this and have been thinking, like, oh, wow, yeah, working for yourself, that's the dream. It it can be amazing and it can be really good. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy working for myself. But at the same time, I think you need to be aware that that first year, you are going to learn so much stuff. So the next point that I I wanted to raise is, is again people sort of come like you know you can choose when you work that sounds like a brilliant lifestyle to have and yeah again to some extent that's true but it's very much linked to what we were talking about in terms of what work you take on it's not just a case of i can swan around and then spend a couple of days you know doing a bit of coding or whatever or writing a report and quite often you're not in charge of when that workload hits
0: yeah, I mean, I would say that a lot of companies now are very attuned to the work-life balance. So yeah. a lot of the previous benefits of working for yourself are equalised and less of an incentive if you've got a really good employer. The trend is for more flexibility in, in the workplace and, you know, quite often you have core hours and and stuff. While I do tend to work longer hours, I think, than I would in a company, I'm certainly starting earlier because I don't have the commute and I finish later. But I like the fact that
1: I can go running at lunchtime, for example. So that's when I
0: get my
1: flexibility. You've sort of alluded to it, but I find that I'm always on. So if I don't have a job on, then I'm thinking about where can I get the next job or how can I go about marketing myself or something like that. And if I do have a job on, then I'm constantly thinking about the job. I find it really hard to switch off now, even if if I'm on holiday or something. The last point that I want to mention in this section is, and this is the one that I always find funniest, but maybe this is where we're not doing something right. But the number of people who say, oh, but you must be so loaded because you work for yourself. (laughs) I was like, no. (laughs) That doesn't seem to be the way that it works. Because obviously you are limited by the fact that you can only do as much work as you, the the person, can do. I've got a, a blog post that's coming out, it should be the day after we record this, that is basically just wrapping up some thoughts that I gave at a presentation last year about what it is that makes up a day rate. Because I think that's why people think that all independent and freelance people must be loaded is because they see a day rate and they're going like, oh, you're taking that home every single day of the year. That's amazing. And that's not how it works, because obviously you're not taking it home every single day of the year. You're taking it home for certain parts of the year. And also there's a whole host of other costs that you have to cover that get covered as part of your monthly salary if you were working for another company. I would say most of the people I know are comfortably off is probably the best way to put it. And they do it because they enjoy the work and they enjoy the benefits of working for themselves and they, and all the other things that we've mentioned. It's quite clear that your time you have isn't scalable. And I, I would expect people to
0: be most interested if they were thinking about to work for themselves. The number one thing I think people would think about is how much am I going to earn? How do I set my price? And then the the other thing is, how do I get the work? Those are the things that I think preoccupied me the most. And I think the second one of those things preoccupies me the most, even today. (laughs) How am I gonna get the work? In terms of day rate, I think there's like probably hundreds of pages that will tell you how to calculate your day rate. Try not to race to the bottom. I think the biggest fear you have to start with is that someone's gonna say, whoa, you want that much? I'll be interested to see what your blog post says, but there's so many different components of a day rate. It's all these calculators online say whatever your your idealised basic basic rate is, add twenty percent, add thirty percent, and then divide it by the number of feasible working days. But that that twenty thirty percent you add to your basic salary has to basically cover pension, sick pay, time when you just can't work, time when you are working but there's no you, you know you' you're working to get that to get that client exactly you know yeah. to, to help them so you you may have three days of work with this client in a couple of weeks' time but you, you're still talking them to them today that's free but it has someone has to pay for it at some point it's really difficult but if someone is listening to this thinking about it
1: don't undersell yourself of all the people that i've spoken to who are either freelance or self-employed the overwhelming thing that i get from them is that they just they want to help people they want interesting things to do and it doesn't they're quite happy to do a whole host of variety of different things you might be saying oh well okay i'm i'm an aws guy for looking at um, earth observation data but really you've got to be open to doing all sorts of other things i think it's that that spark of interest that keeps people doing this job rather than necessarily a sort of a a dogged belief that they're going to make tons and tons of money.
0: Being freelance allows me to do this podcast.
1: It allows me to,
0: to blog and it allows me to be independent and have independent public thoughts. So I can, I can express how I see the industry or, or all this kind of stuff. And that's a real blessing. And I, and I feel really grateful and totally motivated to do that
1: yeah that that gels completely with the way that i i approach things as well right next up we want to provide some thoughts about getting going in this world as a couple of listeners have mentioned to us over the past few months that going freelance or independent might be something that they want to pursue so first up talk it through with friends and family i would say that's pretty crucial Ideally, have a cushion of money, so six months current income is recommended, but I fully accept that not everybody would be in the position to do that, but certainly having three months would, I would say, would be the most important thing. Identify your first customer, and if you can, have a contract in place before you start officially being freelance or independent consultant. Network. Start right now, like put, turn off the podcast and go and start networking right now. <laughs> <laughs> Keep costs down. So use low cost or free services where you can. Uh, give yourself set goals and time frames for success. Have access to decent IT tech. So that means that if you need to upgrade personal computers, do so whilst you're currently earning from an employer and you get your monthly salary coming in identify somewhere that you're going to work, be confident and assertive without being annoying. So this this is something I learned right at the beginning is actually if you start questioning yourself, then that comes through with the people that you're talking to. So you need to be confident that you're good. And then finally, be prepared for failure what's your backup you need to have an out and so that if it doesn't go according to your plan then you know where you're going to go after that so that's my list good list thank you i mean i came at it from a redundancy so i can
0: strongly recommend a book called what color is your parachute what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another and i've read many books i enjoyed the what color is your parachute book because it gave me context and ideas and directions i may want to consider And the best thing I did was not on this list. And that was, I tried to reach out to people who were working in the industry, doing what I wanted to do. And I tried to talk to them, but I tried not to talk to them in a way that they felt that I was wasting their time. And in fact, you were one of the people I spoke to because, you know, you were well well sort of set up and... I'm going and I really appreciate it and I was very grateful for it and most people are very generous with their time. I think that I've been too focused on within the industry that I work in and it's taken a long time for me to realise that most of my work is probably not going to come from people within that industry. I need to reach out.
1: Knowing that you you have to go and find people that you've never come across in an industry or industries that you don't generally hang around, Is I find that really scary. As a one-person company, to be able to go and convince someone outside of our sector, outside of Earth Observation, that they need our skills... That in itself is a skill. That expectation management is critical, I think, when you work for yourself because everything comes down to reputation at the end.
0: It's trying to sort of define your purpose in a way. For want of a better example, why do you use an airline above another airline? Is it just price? Is it because you have an affinity with them? Is it because that's the convenient one to to travel with if, if you're flying? people form an emotional connection. And that's that's the connection I want to form with with people. I'm a person. And when someone asks, could you do a course? I say, yes, what do you want? You get the choice with me, Jen. You can just have me going and hitting you with as much information as you can consume, which is often what people <laughs> want. Or you can have it very tailored into to what your needs are. And that's just a very specific example. But that's what I imagine you get when you're working on a project or
1: when I'm working on a project, you get Andrew or you get Alistair. You get flexibility to suit whatever the actual problem is. And a good freelancer or independent consultant will sit down with the client and go through whatever the scope is and really tease out what it is specifically that is required for a certain job it's, it's so imperative on the individual when you're trying to make a go of working for yourself that you need to get these things really ironed out so that flexibility is key i think ultimately
0: when people ask me what's it like hopefully we, i will refer to this podcast because it will save me typing a, heck of a lot of stuff <laughs> up and it is a bit of a brain dump but to sort of summarize from my point of view if if you're thinking about it very few people sort of step out and try and work for themselves and if if you are thinking about it and you want to do it then really go for it good luck to you i'm really really rooting hard for you it's an experience whether it works or not and if it doesn't work out in three months three years whatever and it doesn't work then i think that's 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 not a failure. That's a a success. You tried. Exactly. That's
1: the only way we can learn. That's exactly what I was going to say is that irrespective of how it turns out, you haven't failed because you'll have learned so much in the process. And hopefully you'll have had a good time. You can do it. If you really want to do it, then there's no reason why not to give it a go. If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then we encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Map underscore Andrew. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around the podcast. Thanks for listening. And that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. You're a business tiger. It's not an easy one to walk through. So take me with you. And you don't have to go alone. The life is growing like walking past you. If I could ask you, pick up